Welcome to episode 10 of our CI for Life podcast. I am Rick Hyland with RLG International. This is a podcast for those individuals passionate about personal and professional continuous improvement. Our purpose on these podcasts is to give leaders, future C-suite leaders, the mindset, skill set, and tool set to become leaders of continuous performance improvement. Today's guest is a leader, uh, leader and friend and a teaming expert. Uh, that RLG has worked with for a number of years, and I personally have worked with. I'd like to welcome uh, David Webster to the podcast. Welcome, David. Hi, Rick. Thanks very much. It's a real, uh, real pleasure to join you. Yeah, thank you. And I appreciate you giving me 30 minutes today to talk about what you're up to in your organization. And and uh, uh, I'll give a little background, David. And then if you wouldn't mind just uh, underlining anything that you want before we get into the discussion on leadership and teamwork. But David is the uh, director of the Center for Teams, and he holds several, several degrees, uh, a Bachelor of Arts, an MBA, a Master's of Science, and is also a chartered occupational psychologist. And uh, as a member, he's a member of uh, several organizations, as you can hear from the accent. I'm talking to him <laughs> overseas. And uh, David works with senior leaders and their teams to increase their leadership capability to bring about change, improve business performance, and enhance their own well-being. David, anything else from your background that you want to underline before we uh, continue? Well, I guess uh, to say that um, uh, I started life as a trainee chartered accountant and then went into consulting, having had some line management experience in, um, in hospitality, actually. And I came to occupational psychology quite late. Um, after I'd run a business that uh, supported leaders in developing coaching skills before they before coaching was a thing that was in the, in the mid 90s so I've had a variety of different kinds of experiences and I think that's really helpful and it's instructive for uh, folks given the um, catchment for this podcast um, instructive for folks who are thinking about learning because in a sense as my father used to say we never stop learning until we uh, until we shuffle off this mortal coal, so learning is part of a central part of the way that I see the world. So it's great to join you as a result of that. Absolutely, I didn't know. Did you say you started as an accountant? Yes, uh, with Price Waterhouse. Yes, oh, it was a lucky escape. Yeah. Lucky escape for concerning cleaning <laughs> Price Waterhouse. Very good. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. You learned something. So, Davis, t- David, tell us a little bit about the Center for Teams and and your mission and vision there. So we've got, um, it's a boutique uh, coaching consulting practice uh, coming over London. Uh, We um, enable exceptional performance uh, in our client, uh, in our client group by supporting those organizations to create sustainable learning organizations um, to develop truly adaptable teams, particularly at the top, so executive Mm -hmm teams who are responsible for whole enterprise or, or part of an enterprise, um, or indeed specialist functions who are uh, uh, leadership uh, teams of specialist functions. Uh, and we also develop transformational leaders uh, who can operate in a space um, which these days is very complex and very often they don't have direct control over things. So transform- transformational leadership is a proxy for systems leadership, and that's the way often that we see organizations when we work with them. Uh, and that's a big ask for many people who've grown up in a traditional organization with traditional structures. So sustainable learning organizations, truly adaptable teams, and, transform, and transformational leaders is what we're about. 
all in service of exceptional and sustainable performance. Very good. And as I've mentioned, uh, David's worked with me and our organization, RLG, and and done all of that. So thanks for that, David. And that's why we're talking today. So let's get in. I, I, again, I want to pick up on those themes in particular, you know, how to examples and how do you create a great learning organization and how do you help stand up, as you say, transformational leadership? What what are some of your ideas on the how uh, and ideas on how to do that? Well, we, we've got, over the years, we've developed um, some principles that we encourage organizations to embrace and okay. are, are reflected in the way that we work with them as well. And I'll just share some, some top simple ones, which I, I think Please. will be attractive to your audience. Um, the, the first one is, is the principle of or proposition that actually often it's important to slow down to speed up. And in a modern organization, things move, of course, extremely quickly and yep. communication is 24 hours a day and the expectation is huge on senior leaders. But to be able to create the space to slow down in order that you can focus on the most significant things and move them forward, not necessarily the most urgent, but the most significant things is really important. And in a team, its importance is, is even greater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one way in which we look at this is to look at uh, how people learn. And the more, uh, and we know that in teams it's critical to get a shared vision, a shared picture of, of success, a shared picture of the future, uh, and a shared picture of some of the problems that, that the team is trying to solve. But often that bit is missed out. There's lots of doing and lots of decision making, but not a huge amount of ref- reflection and what we call connecting around shared meaning. So being able to slow down long enough to give space to those conversations then becomes absolutely crucial. So that's that's one quite important principle. Yeah, can I just, can I, I know you on. want to get to some others, but that, that one's a big one for me as well. So let me, if I could just dig in on that a little bit, just, you know, with sure. social media, with the reams of data executives have to try to interpret how their own business is doing. Uh, yeah. It is, as you say, very, we're going at a very, very fast pace and maybe an unsustainable pace to be truly yep. effective. And yep. so to slow down, again, my question you know, kind of goes to the how, and you've talked about to develop a shared meaning. So are you are you talking about as simple as going and, and writing a mission statement? Or tell me, tell me more about how you would well, slow that, down. <clears throat> so I was talking to a client today about um, the fact that they have some plans for what they're trying to do, which is actually about diversity and uh, inclusion mm-hmm. at a senior level. Um, and they, they don't want those plans messed around with. Well, you know, fair enough, but are, have they given enough space for everybody to have a clear view and a, and a shared view of what those plans intend to deliver? Because if they haven't got that, then the plan is worthless. Right. So spending enough time on really getting to grips with what, um, the meaning is behind the activity that, that, that everybody's engaged in. Mm. And from, from your own organization, um, which of course I know well, and it's a real privilege to know so much talent, um, I interviewed a few of your guys years ago, and they mm-hmm. talked about a problem-solving process that they had with a client, not being able to solve a particular problem. So they took um, time out, I think it was two or three days, to focus on just that one problem. And it was discovered just by understanding how things had uh, got to to this point or to that point that 
they discovered that everybody had been trying to solve successively different problems rather than spending time to say, well, which problem are we trying to solve? Okay. Because we're clear about which problem it is we're trying to solve. And we start to have a shared view of what's led to that point and what might work in resolving that problem. Then it's going to be much easier to solve it. Hmm. So taking time out is, is a hugely valuable and, and important process. And we see it in modern life now where people are taking up meditation or uh, going on mindfulness programs because um, there's too much stuff going on. To be, so to be able to, to slow down in order to be able to speed up is, is ever more important. Mm, and thank you for bringing in the personal examples there too. Good. Okay. Very good. Thanks for that. Um, other principles? Um, so it's loops, not lines, is another one that we uh, are constantly working on. This this idea that, uh, especially in change scenarios and, and changes all around us, of course, and that's a, an overused phrase. Um, but if we put in place a, a, a for instance, culture change, which is the space often that we find ourselves in, mm -hmm. changing the nature and the quality of the conversations that people have with each other in order that you can affect the quality of the output and the outcome and the performance ultimately improves. But if you have the basic assumption that you put a plan in place and you go through a number of steps and out pops the performance, the other end, um, if, that, if that's your view of change, then the chances are you're missing huge opportunities to learn along the way. Mm. Because every context is different, every voice is different, people think differently to you. You're never going to see the same conversation twice. It will always be an opportunity to learn. So think in loops, think in learning loops, mm. not lines, uh, is, is our recommendation. And it's connected, of course, to slowing down to speed up. Um, but if, if you adjust your view of change, and it's a, it's a set of basic assumptions about change, that it's loops, not lines, uh, then you have a greater chance of saying, okay, so what do we learn from that piece of implementation in this change, in this way? And what what does that teach us about what we need to build on and what is particularly what is going well? Because it's much easier to grow what's going well than rather than, than try to suppress what is not going well or fix it. Uh, rather like whack-a-mole, if you, if you keep on trying to look for things to fix, you know, you're going to get exhausted rather than culturing the good and the stuff that's working. If you have those kind of perspectives on learning uh, and therefore on change, then it's going to be much easier to create sustainable change over time. Mm. So loops, not lines, connected like to slow down, to speed up. Where I connect with that, David, and I think uh, you're in this discussion as well, we always often talk about, for leaders or teams, efficiency versus effectiveness. And all our yeah. old time management principles took us to efficiency and what I'm getting out of the two principles you've shared so far, they're really about getting effective, effectiveness, if yeah. you will. Shared learning, deep yeah. learning. Um, yeah. I like where yeah, you're driving. It, it's great because, it, I mean, I can identify with that because it's about process. It's not necessarily about content. Both are important. Um, in a team, the, the literature will talk about connecting both to task as well as to relationship. Yes. And the same is true in what you're describing. Don't just focus on the content, which is my version of the plan. Yep. Focus on the way that you're developing the plan, because that tells you something about the quality of the outturn that you're going to be able to create. If it's just one or the other, then you're missing half the story. Yeah, um, to do both. And I like how you're tying into task and relationship as well. You, you, there's still a task to do, but 
honor and watch for the learning and the relationship as well. Absolutely. And it, yeah, absolutely. So this is not about saying the task is not important, quite the reverse. It's saying be really clear about the task mm -hmm. and and engage everybody in conversations about what they're seeing that the task requires of them and be clear on whether everybody's on board. Yeah. How many times have we been to meetings and everybody shoots off? And has a slightly different interpretation of the decision that's made. That's a that's a that's an everyday example of not slowing down long enough in in order that people can move away with a clear view of what they're all supposed to do. Which means that the the activity they engage in is not coordinated, and that's a that's a real killer for performance in a team, especially the top team, of course. Yes, very good. Oh, I love it. Okay, continue. Um, I've got I've got a third one for you if you okay. can bear it. Yeah, um, all things are connected, um, and this speaks to both uh, team as well as organizational level. But of course, at an individual level too, it's the same. Where if you want to get a good order of results, then a you've got to be aware about aware of what you're getting, and that kind of speaks a bit to slow down to speed up. Um, and of course, you've got to engage in things that require you, you know people to act. You've got to do stuff in order to get results. But behind that doing is a whole load of, um, uh, of stuff that's going on beneath the surface that you can't see. Okay. So in a team, it's the dynamic between the team members. So an example of that is the degree of trust that they have with yeah. each other. Um, how safe they feel it is to speak up, especially when they have bad news to share or they have an observation or things have not gone well. So those are examples of the of a dynamic in a team, and of course you have the same within an individual. How you feel about something has a fundamental impact on um, how you then perform, and the performance of the action, and, and the result that you get. Mm -hmm. So, so that's one example of something that's beneath the surface. But at, at a much deeper level, is about how you see yourself, your your identity, your sense of self, and that's true for an individual clearly, because if you show up in a very meek way to a very important meeting, the chances are people are going to interpret that as a lack of capability or confidence. So how you see yourself has a fundamental impact on your ability to perform in that space. Um, and those are questions of identity. Same is true of a team. A team's sense of itself is a very powerful force if harnessed, and everybody is clear about what the team is there for, its, its purpose. And exactly the same, of course, is for an individual. And we've seen lots of examples over the years of organizations that have repurposed itself. Um, a classic example, when the pen market wasn't going very well for Parker pens in the UK, and uh, in the 70s, they recast themselves as being in the gift market. And that right. saved their business. Um, LucasAid is another one. It's, it's no longer a, a drink for people who are sick. It's a health drink. It's a sports drink. So this, so organizations have identity, teams have identity, individuals, of course, have identity. So going to that level and re-completely shifting the way that you see yourself has a very powerful impact. Um, and clarity of role in that, uh, in service of the system that you're seeking to change in a change process is crucial. So often you need to go to quite a deep level of learning in order to, you can come out the other end with a really powerful um, uh, set of actions 
and on all of those things being consistent. So all things are connected. If you want great results, you've really got to be clear about the role you're playing and the thoughts and the feelings that you have about that and yourself and other people in it have to be consistent with the quality of action that you wish to create. So all things are connected. Can I just uh, see if I can tie into that one for a second, David? You know, because Google a couple of years ago did the big study on effective teams and and uh, it wasn't just to have the smartest people or the right cross-functional group. It was the groups that felt a, tr a sense of trust and safety to challenge, bring up ideas, et cetera, et cetera, was my interpretation of their outcome on, you know, a success yeah. factor for key teams. And I think that's part of what you're getting at on all things are connected. Absolutely. And Google is a great example of a learning organization, actually. And what I've just described is the dynamic of a learning organization, and one that continually seeks to improve its performance and capability in pursuit of something that it sees worthwhile and meaningful. So Google is, is a great example. And, and lots of other innovative tech companies are great examples. But it's very interesting that you put your finger on the piece of research, quite a well-known piece of research, <clears throat> from their organization that really points to some things that we have known for a long time about teams. This is not new. The fact that people feel need to feel safe enough to speak up, in particular if they're doing something important where, you know, paying attention is critical. Yep. Um, you know, this is not news. This has been around in uh, psychological research for years. Yeah. But, but we keep on needing to learn this stuff. So <laughs> so it's kind of that's why I say it's loops, not lines. Keep on keep on refining your ability to pay attention to how much trust there is in the room. And, and if somebody's not not talking, understand what's behind that. And if somebody is trying to run a coach and horses across your process and getting in the way you feel, then understand more about that. Get get behind it, get beside it, and start to listen and engage and question in a different way. And, and those are the skills of a learning organization. And again, this is not news. We've known these things for a long time. Great this point. This is the stuff of continuous improvement, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, let me try to segue now to the leader's role in this. I think you've shared with us mm. three great principles for uh, high-performance teams, if you will. Yeah. Um, what's the leader's role in creating this learning organization? And or even if you answer, ask it a different way that you and I have talked about, what's the leadership mindset required to help these teams flourish? Yeah. So the way that we see um, instead of a teams, the leader's role is as a systems leader, uh, because it's no longer possible to be a leader uh, and feel that you can control everything. If ever there was a time, <laughs> now it's really completely gone out the window. Right. So. Um, that's, the, I guess, the first thing that a, a modern leader needs to grasp. Uh, and that's it. That is a shift in mindset because there are basic assumptions now that are different in a modern, modern organization um, that need to be addressed. The second thing. So, so that, that's kind of the, that's the overall picture of uh, the way that we see uh, well, leaders and, you, and the shift in leaders mindset. I, just before you go to your second, I, I just want to, I couldn't agree more. You know, you look at these big organizations today, and many of them are functional, right? And wherein before in a big plant, a leader would have everybody reporting to him and in control. Yeah. Um, and today, uh, it is, you know, half the group may report to somebody else, half the group may report back to Houston, half the group, you know, so yeah. we're not even, they don't even directly report to you. Uh, and so it really is a mindset shift to think as a systems leader versus 
I, you know, I control this whole group. They'll do what I say. It, does that tie into the thought there? Absolutely. Now, there's a basic assumption that that in wrapped up in the old model uh, is that because I have um, positional authority, right? Uh, then it'll be fairly straightforward. Well, you have positional authority in one space, but not in another. But you need to create systems change, even when you don't have positional authority. So how are you going to deal with that? Right. So that's a that's a matter of influence, of course. Yes. It, so you have to shift the way that you're seeing your role. Yeah. To be mindful of the system that you're serving, and of course, senior people serve a whole variety of systems. So they could, they're probably a member of three or four different teams. Yes. Maybe different subcommittees if they're in C-suite. Yes. Um, they're probably on a couple of working groups, and maybe they're a sponsor for one and a worker in another. And, and that's the same on a different scale for most people in most organizations now. They're parts of lots of different systems. And so their role will change depending on which system they're in. And you, and you pan back even further and you say, well, if you're a chief executive of a modern organization, your system goes way beyond your own organization. You think about folks in oil and gas, for instance, and the sector that you know very well. Mm -hmm. They have a societal contribution to make. Um, and we learn how much um, uh, of a societal contribution the banking sector and leaders in the banking sector had when uh, through the crash in 2008. And, and everybody now is much more acutely aware that that is the case. So yes. this, the system that you're serving and the way in which you view those systems and how you, how you define your role are ultimately connected. And that is a shift in mindset. It's no longer I run this team or this organization or this group. It's no, you actually you, you have an influence over all of them, well, particularly if you're creating change. It's a great point. So uh, what coaching tip would you have for leaders that are trying to make that mindset shift and do sit on several different teams and including trying to influence the outside or world, as you talked about it? Have you got thoughts, tips? Yeah. So I think. Um, this this is the basis of a, a, a sound learning organization, it's a, but the same is true for an individual, of course. Uh, firstly, be very clear on who, what you stand for, what your values are, and what principles guide your actions, and what you're, you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I don't use the word passion in the way that you know, the X Factor might use it, because that's, that's kind of, that's slightly empty in my view. Okay. I think this is a true dedication to something that is meaningful. Uh, so, so there's something about yourself, but there's also something about the context within which you sit. So what's going on around you and around the organization that you serve that you need to pay attention to? And climate change is a classic example, of course. Mm -hmm. But there are lots of others because society is changing very rapidly around us and we see it in politics every day, every time we turn on the news. So what is in the context of your system uh, that you need to pay attention to? And, 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 and that last piece is, well, which system today in this conversation are you serving? Now, all of those require an examination of the basic assumptions that you have about yourself and about others and the system that you serve. And I'll give you one example. Okay. One, one example that I think, and it's in the, it's in the public domain, but comes from uh, a mutual client of ours that tried to address the kind of basic assumptions that went along with their safety journey. Yep. And I think it's, it's universally applicable 
for pretty much every situation, it's not just to do with safety. And this is the, um, the principle, if you like, but it's actually an assumption, I think, um, which is how leaders respond to failure matters. Oh, wow. Love and it. That's such a, such a powerful one. Um, and it, it, it's meaningful in, in, for every organization. Because if a senior leader, particularly if it's a senior leader, uh, and particularly if it's a senior leader that, that folks look up to, um, if they uh, have a failure on their watch and run around in small circles trying to, um, um, you know, l locate the locate the guilty and punish the innocent, then nobody will ever speak up ever again. Right. But if if they find a failure or something that's not not gone quite so well, with communicating how important that situation might have been, clearly because that's part of making sure that you're following up on author, on uh, accountability but but also treating it with a huge non-judgmental awareness where you're saying well actually what did happen here and how do people think and feel and, and not just what led up to the to the occurrence or the failure but what contributed to it genuinely uh, interested in the answer and listening very acutely and supporting people through telling their story and if, and and if if you if you respond in that way then people are much more likely to trust in future the leader's response because if they don't then you have what we were talking about earlier a, a dip in trust and a lack of connection and if you have that then you don't have contribution in the future you don't have that discretionary effort that goodness we've been talking about in organizations since the 50s that the x factor the the contribution that means that people will go the extra mile that will be denied the organization and people are right to deny it because it's not safe i like how you tied that back to the principles of connection and trust yeah. um and david i would even underline it even more and say and i think and we're running out of time and i want to have you back on another podcast but i think it, you cannot achieve world-class safety and operational excellence without proper response to failure no. and, and using your words the non-judgmental non awareness yeah. you will yeah. not get to the learnings you will not get yeah. to sustainable learnings if uh, you overreact or overjudge or punish <laughs> the innocent as you say and and uh, I think you've hit on a, a huge nugget to get to operational and safety excellence. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, I do, before we went out of time, as you know, I'm very passionate about the personal continuous <laughs> improvement side as well. And I wanna try to get out of my humble uh, friend a couple of nuggets <laughs> on the personal side, David. What, what are habits or um, mm -hmm. mindsets or practices that you do that help you be an effective leader, mm -hmm. consultant, coach, et cetera? Um, I do a couple of things, and with the proviso that you'd know that I'm not the finished article. We've, we've spoken <laughs> We're about We're still this. working. <laughs> Absolutely. And, that, and, that again, and again, that kind of drives us on, which is helpful. A couple of things. Firstly, I, uh, I do set goals, personal goals, mm -hmm. uh, that reflect my professional and personal aspirations, but I don't look at them very often. I set them and I put them in a drawer. And then maybe a few months later, I might look at them again, come across them, might adjust them. They're kind of living documents, and I refresh them every year fully. Okay. Uh, and that's quite a useful discipline, 
both the fact that I set them as well as the fact that I ignore them. Because actually the most important ones float to the top. Consciousness, and, yep. And, it, and your consciousness just plays itself out. You don't have to remind yourself. It's either there or not there. And if it's not there, it's probably not the right goal. Probably wasn't that important. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Yep. This, the second one is uh, meditation. I do that most days and that, that gives me a bit more headspace. And I actually use the headspace app, which, uh, which is fantastic um, as a guide. Um, and I like to keep myself reasonably uh, physically active. And I think that here's a huge part to play. And I think it's connected to this idea that all things are connected. Your, your head is screwed onto your body. So take care of both your mind and your body. And I think that makes a difference. Although clearly that's continuously work in progress, particularly as I am, um, as the years tick by. <laughs> oh, David, you've given us so much, so many learnings. As I said, I want to have you back. I loved your, thank you for sharing those three principles around developing you know, top performance teams. Thanks for connecting the leadership lessons into that, the mindset shift, and particularly the one that really struck home for me is how leaders respond to failure will determine if they're able to get to high performance teams or not. And then yeah. um, very, thanks for disclosure around the personal goals and meditation and the exercises as well. Anything else you wanna say as we close off, David? Um, no, it's been a real privilege uh, to share my thinking. And um, as I said, not the finished article. And I think or if organizations think in that way, then that's very helpful because it means there's a constant striving to improve. Um, and, and mostly organizations need to trust themselves much more than they do because there are lots of good people in them. And the more they trust those good people, the more there'll be space for innovation. And that's what we're all after. Well said. All about continuous improvement. And uh, that attitude allows you to to do that so absolutely absolutely david thanks again for your time and uh, let me close it off there and uh, really appreciate our guest today the uh, director of the center for teams david webster again i'd love to have you back david but until next time this is rick highland with rlg international you can find us on itunes under my name or ci for life or if you want more information uh, podcasts or youtube videos if you have any questions, you can contact me directly for follow-up, rickh at rlginternational.com. And uh, most importantly, share with us, David and I, any learnings you had, comments on uh, YouTube or podcasts uh, for this one, and any success stories you have on implementing the ideas. And until next time, live a life of continuous improvement, and goodbye. Goodbye.